Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to an episode of Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have two great guests uh, with us coming onto the show. We have Elizabeth G with the G Law Firm and Dr. Ramir Nair with Our Family Doc to kind of kick us off with the show. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anthony. Great. So kind of share with our audience, uh, what inspired you to go into law and particularly immigration law? Um. Well, long story short, divorce court, watching it as a Mm -hmm. six-year-old, inspired me to want to become an attorney. And after many, many, many years of, you know, figuring that path out (laughs) and ending up in law school, um, immigration law kind of chose me in the sense that it was something that I was working in before I went to law school. And then after I got barred, it was, you know, naturally, like a no-brainer to start my practice in this area. Mm-hmm. So kind of share with us then, when people think of immigration attorney, uh, kind of the default assumption is, oh, it's just people who are kind of getting sponsored, they're coming in and getting green card or getting a citizenship process. But I imagine there's a whole different uh, field of immigration law, particularly when it comes to uh, a corporate immigration attorney. Kind of explain to our audience, like, what is that? So uh, thank you for that question. So generally, um, yes, many people think immigration attorneys are more about you know, helping the humanitarian side, people at the border, family separation and things like that. But a corporate immigration attorney works with companies, investors, entrepreneurs, business owners, and family businesses, uh, essentially to leverage the immigration system to bring in um, or to employ, um, you know, the workforce that they need for their business, right? So it's not just about the things that are happening. I mean, it's heartbreaking what's happening at the border um, and people fleeing, you know, for their lives with the clothes on their backs. Um, That's definitely an area that needs more attention. But on the other side of it, you know, with companies that have, that need the tech talent or even in the medical field where, you know, uh, we have underserved hospitals where they're looking for doctors. It's a great um, place for uh, immigrant doctors to be able to not only take care of their um, immigration um, visa sponsorships and as well as their permanent residency, but also to you know add value where it's most needed. So then can I share some clarification for, for audience? Okay, so we know that there's a need, in, at least on, on the corporate side. So who will be someone that you'd be kind of working with? Take us what that looks like. Is it with the, let's say you mentioned in terms of some of the rural hospitals, would they be the end clientele or maybe the doctors from overseas who are looking to move into the U.S.? Or is it a little of both? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of both in the sense that um, usually it's the, you know, the foreign national who needs uh, my services um, contacting us, kind of doing the legwork. Um, because sometimes, you know, they're fortunate enough to have employers who are like, hey, um, you know, this is new to us. We don't do this on a regular basis. Why don't you go find somebody that you want to work with? And then when you've narrowed them down, you know, we'd be happy to be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So sponsorship, though, always, you know, starts with the employer. The employer ultimately has to agree and will become my client. But, you know, since we're using the example of these doctors, some of them are, you know, uh, qualified to sponsor themselves as a Mm self-petition. So they don't necessarily need an employer to say yes. They, you know, because of what they have to offer the U.S. um, government or the U.S. in general, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they can do a self-petition 
which would resolve a lot of, you know, the headache of having to find an employer to say yes. Oh, did not know that. So, so cause my understanding can probably uh, incorrect stereotype is that you need some kind of employer to do that sponsorship. So it sounds like physicians are one of those exceptions or is there other professions? There's for- a variety of professions and skill sets that may warrant a self petition. It's actually a specific type of um, it's called a national interest waiver um, mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it's in the national interest of the, of the U S to uh, allow you to basically self petition yourself. Cause you're mm-hmm. just, just that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool. So what, what are perhaps maybe another profession that might not stand out as obvious? Cause right now I'm thinking, okay, doctors, maybe it sounds like maybe people are just in general STEM field. Is that, is that kind of a correct assumption? Well, the STEM field is actually a very um, hot area right now because, um, you know, there's so many people with so many great ideas and talents that they can offer. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a lot of them, you know, pursuing their advanced degrees in the United States as international students. And uh, sometimes because they can't find an employer to say yes, Mm-hmm. they may be running out of options, right? Uh, options right. in terms of um, working in the U.S. lawfully, options in terms of staying and also planning for their future. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about self-petitioning or becoming entrepreneurs themselves. So it's an area of law that um, does cater a lot towards the STEM folks, like mm-hmm. the people who have um, the STEM background. But, um, I, you know, honestly, I don't put cases or clients in a box, I kind of deal with like, you give me all the facts, tell me what you have, you know, let's try to figure out a way that gets you what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how we generally try to strategize when we talk to a client. Okay. So whether someone who's coming in to potentially, if they fall under, I guess the exceptions, the guidelines of being able to sell a sponsor uh, or companies looking to acquire additional talent that is just not applicable or available here uh, in the U S do you have to be like a, I don't know, like a Fortune 500 company to, to be able to afford <laughs> such services? No, I don't think my fees are that bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think the, that's a misconception that you have yeah. to be like a Fortune 500 company to be able to sponsor um, foreign nationals for either visas or permanent residency. Mm-hmm. I, um, In fact, I enjoy working with like the smaller businesses where they're just doing this for the first time. They've identified somebody that they just think is so awesome that they want to, you know, help them and they want to keep them working and happy for their business. So um, I really enjoy working with those types of employers, Um, whether you want to do one or five or 500. Mm -hmm. um, The work is about the same. (laughs) So it really, um, I think matters what type of service provider you choose and what kind of, you know, client, you know, uh, attorney client relationship you want to, you want to have. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of culture will determine, you know, the work style. And if it works for your business, um, at the end of the day, businesses have to kind of view the cost of sponsorship as an investment that gives them a return on investment, Mm -hmm. not as a cost, right. Not as a cost that's, you know, Oh, I got to spend this money and it's it. But it really, they have if they are able to view it as an investment and be able to extract the return on their investment, I would say you know it's it's rather prudent <laughs> to want to do this as an employer, especially because of what we're going through right now as an economy, mm-hmm. where um, you know there's a lot of people, there are a lot of bodies, but are they the right body for our business? Mm-hmm. Right? Are they going to add value to my business? Is the question. Yeah. I ask myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and for every business owner, I think the major pain point is really finding the right people 
to be able to rely on and kind of retain them mm-hmm. in a way. So I, then that kind of leads to a follow-up question is other than kind of the obvious, the STEM, do you have a couple of examples that would not kind of fall under the stereotypical STEM or what kind of business mm-hmm. that would, uh, ha- that could use your services, but they're probably not thinking about it because mm-hmm. they just think, oh, I don't fall under the stereotype. So, or maybe I'm not a Fortune 500 and right. they just might not even realize it. Right. Um, let me, well, one of my clients, I really enjoy working with them because they're very decisive and they mm-hmm. move fast in their <laughs> decision-making, mm-hmm. but they're an agro, um, what it, ar- ar- um, landscape architecture firm. Mm-hmm. So they're not just, you know, doing landscaping, but they go onto large properties and they design the whole, you know, landscape and they have, and they sponsored a young lady who's their landscape architect. So she obtained her bachelor's degree in landscape architecture from a U.S. university and somehow, you know, um, ended up working for them on an internship. And after the internship, they're like, oh, she's awesome. We want to keep you know, uh, working with her. Um, and we understand that, you know, um, we need to sponsor her for some sort of visa to be able to work for us. So mm-hmm. that's where the conversation started, but yeah, landscape architecture. I never thought I would, you know, uh, yeah. it was a thing I've worked with architects before, but, um, not in this field. So I love working with, you know, new types of businesses. I mean, you know, it's really what you can think of, right. Um, not all jobs are eligible, for work visas, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we say the work visa, for example, like an H-1B visa, right? My favorite type of visa to work with, but not everyone can be eligible for that. So, you know, uh, employers do need to know like what industry they're in, what type of talent they're looking for, you know, what they're willing to do in order to have that talent on a steady basis for their business. And everyone's um, plan can be different, right? Depending on your business, we customize a solution that is meant for you and your business, not like mm-hmm. a cookie cutter solution that we apply to everyone. Yeah. Right? So, so it sounds like uh, for, for business or business owner who may have a, an intern that inadvertently it, they find out that it's not a U.S. citizen and they want to keep them, it sounds like this is an, at least an opportunity or an avenue to still keep that talent. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably going to happen a lot now mm-hmm. because um, we're gearing up for H-1B season coming March 2024. So what this essentially means is if you're in an internship um, with an employer, you need to ask now, (laughs) will you sponsor me for my, you know, uh, for the H-1B lottery? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes it's difficult making that request um, from the foreign nationals perspective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it may be off-putting for an employer to, you know, get a question like that, especially in an area that they're not familiar with. But um, I think, you know, as with anything, communication is key here, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be an open dialogue on what's desired, what's wanted, mm-hmm. and what's, you know, what the employer is willing to do or give, right, mm-hmm. for that employee. Yeah. I, I can imagine, especially if one is an intern, is like, how, there's that power dynamic, how, how do I make this big ask? Because it's like above and beyond in terms of just a simple raise, mm-hmm. but kind of a, I imagine maybe like a legal liability or even more costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the employer. So, so how did that conversation, getting back to the previous example with the architect, who kind of made that first ask or their approach? So for that, for that client, it was actually the foreign national who, you know, probably started with the Google search Oh, and um, you know, Google's algorithms. I'm not going to pretend to know how that all works behind the scenes, but you know, pointed her to a, a firm that is a great referral partner for me in that mm-hmm. jurisdiction. And they, 
said, hey, if you want employment-based related stuff, you got to talk to Elizabeth. Yeah. So she scheduled a call um, and she was very good about including, you know, the decision makers on the call. And we were able to have a very open and transparent conversation about what their end goal was. That's what I start with. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to be able to do? They're like, well, we want this person to stay. <laughs> we want her to, <laughs> you know, be happy with us for a long time. Yeah. Right. And I said, okay, then I'm going to get you there. And this is how we're going to get there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, every step of the way they included her in the conversation. And, um, you know, even after the fees were quoted, you know, they mm-hmm. went back and talked as a company and just gave me the decision. Like I said, quickly, yeah. <laughs> they said, yes, we want to go through with this and um, let's let's get started. So mm-hmm. that's when, you know, we get to work. Right. That's when we when the real work starts. And, you know, with my goal of delivering the end you know, outcome, which is for this employee to be able to work and live in the United States, mm-hmm. not encumbered by immigration status or limited by the visa, mm-hmm. um, but to be able to freely live and work and do, you know, her craft, which is, you know, in landscape architecture. Mm-hmm. That's very, very niche. I imagine uh, at the end of the day, if one is that standout of an employee to, for the company, it sounds like she's more than worth investment for them to really just come back with a quick yes, yeah, whatever we can to really keep her here. Exactly. And then as, as kind of a, a follow-up with that is, uh, so we've got a couple of examples of the STEMs, the architecture firms. Uh, what other ways in, in terms of uh, immigration return or corporate immigration, you mentioned a little bit on H-1B for our audience who are maybe not in the know, kind of mm-hmm. like a quick um explanation or cliff notes version of like, yeah. what is h1b and you mentioned the term lottery how's that involved because kind of the, the stereotype for people who are new to this like what do you mean i thought you just submit an application and magic happens and, and then i get a visa right. but it doesn't sound like that no, the case. no unfortunately not so an h1b is a type of visa um, reserved for specialty occupations meaning the department of labor dep- defines a specialty occupation as a job that requires a minimum of a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough that the employer says I want this person filling this job to have a bachelor's degree. The department of labor has to, you know, uh, agree, mm-hmm. right? So um, you know, clearly these jobs are not for like the trade school jobs, the you know, the skilled labor jobs. Um, unfortunately, will not qualify for this visa type. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see H1Bs a lot, you know, in the tech space software developers, accountants, you know, even attorneys, right? So coming out of, you know, uh, foreign attorneys doing, you know, law school or LLMs in the U.S., Mm -hmm. you know, also need sponsorship for an H-1B to be able to work (laughs) after they graduate. So um, this visa, uh, the new visa, new recipients of this visa is are invited once a year, early, um, like March, April. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, because it's so oversubscribed, um, there's a lottery, Right. Uh So there's, you know, in total, 80,000 visas every year. And then last year, I think like 850,000 registered. Right. So in the lottery. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what I mean by oversubscription. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And and they run a lottery and literally being selected and invited to apply for the whole thing is like winning the lottery. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um And once that happens, you know, notifications are made at the end of the month in early, like early April, late, late March, early April. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have until June to file your case. Right. So in that time, the employer can always say, no, I changed my mind or economic indicators. I'm going to, you know, um, downsize and your position is being eliminated. I'm sorry. So those individuals just, just 
they have to enter the lottery again next year. Right. And of course, there's no guarantee that they'll be selected. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, you had mentioned that, you know, yeah, for a very standout employee, it might just be a no brainer for a company to say yes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be for a standout employee. Right. It can be an employee that you need right now for your business who's willing and able to perform at the level that you need. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just cost of doing, if you factor it into it being cost of doing business. And also be really smart about how you're going to extract, whether, you know, subjectively, objectively, whatever, the return on investment from this employee. Um, really, at the end of the day, the cost, like the visa fees and the attorney costs really um, is not an impediment to a lot of companies making that decision. Um, I, th- I feel like if you're a business that knows um, your numbers, right, knows where you're headed, right, it's like any other decision that you make in your, in your business. Right. So from the foreign nationals perspective, asking it is very, it could be very difficult to bring it up, but in some industries, it's kind of a norm, right? It's, it's expected because they know you came in um, as a graduate of, you know, an international student graduate, you know, with a certain degree. So you only have, you know, work authorization for a set period of time. So the next question is, okay, are you going to sponsor me for, you know, for my H1B? Okay. So it sounds like it's like a really a one in ten shot to, to, to get in in terms of being given the green light to apply. So what happens to the nine out of ten? Do they have to go back to their home country, or is so, there? No, I mean they have an option. Do they have any other visa options available? Mm-hmm. You know, we screen to see do they have are they married? Do they have dep- you know spouses that have the you know visa so you, they could hop on and be their dependent? Mm-hmm. Are they willing to go back to school? Right. Mm-hmm. For a advanced, you know, a PhD, if they, you know, a master, another master's, mm-hmm. right. Or go home. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is definitely a reality, the mm-hmm. possibility of going home. Okay. So for the listeners that are, are, are kind of hearing this for the, all the first time, especially uh, maybe even interns that might be <laughs> listening. And it sounds like it's all right. This is kind of a elephant room and it's kind of an industry standard or practice. And it sounds like kind of kudos to her where she was kind of proactive uh, doing her research and reaching out to you. Is that kind of a recommendation you would have for those kind of in that position instead of going to directly to the employer, but maybe reach out to an immigration attorney first to explore their options? I mean, you know, you know your employer best, okay. right? So if your employer is the type where, or your manager, normally they kind of, you know, go to their manager and ask, right, how do we you know, send this request up the flagpole. Who do mm-hmm. I need to talk to? Yeah. Depending on, you know, how big the company is, right? They might even have a process, right? Mm-hmm. But um, generally, um, it might be prudent to have all your facts together and then present, you know, your case for the sponsorship so that you make it very easy for your employer to say yes, right? Then you've already done the legwork and your employer, you know, I like myself as an employer would appreciate somebody who took the initiative to do that because it would show me that they want this. Right. And if they want this that, that bad, they're going to want the job that, you know, that is supporting the sponsorship that badly as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So, or they could, you know, um, first get the yes from the employer who says, okay, go do your research and, you know, follow up with me in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, at that time they, you know, they reach out. Um, but, one thing that they have to recognize is that there's really a difference between free legal advice and paid consultations, right? So mm-hmm. free legal advice, you have to be very um, cognizant of who's giving it to you. Are you talking to the actual attorney or are you talking to um, 
you know, somebody who's affiliated with the firm who maybe give you general information, but not something specific to your case. Cause obviously, you know, a non-attorney cannot give legal advice. Mm-hmm. Um, paid consults for the most part are paid because you're talking to an attorney, right? It's not about, you know, me sitting there and charging you by the hour to talk to you. I don't mm-hmm. make, my business cannot sustain on that alone. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, is to have a very uh, specific conversation that's customized and tailored to you and your needs so that we can decide if we're going to work together or if we can work together, right? Which is a very, um, I think, you know, profitable and, you know, beneficial uh, way to spend time, right? For the for both parties. So um, just don't be, you know, um, fooled by free because free necessarily doesn't mean that it's quality. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is I can't just go on web or legal MD and, and get an accurate answer. I, I should not be asking Cora for, for legal <laughs> advice. No, just like I, you know, I wouldn't ask, you know, do that and then go to my doctor and say, Hey, <laughs> I read this on Google. Yeah. yeah speaking of, we're going to have a doctor on, on board right after. So, so for our listeners, whether they're an intern or, or business who are kind of racking their brains of, okay, we, we have this gangbuster of a talent on our staff, but we, don't want to lose them. So how can we keep them here? How can they best find you? Uh, They can find me at my website, www.myglaw.com. That's M-Y-J-I-L-A-W.com. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Speaking of doctor, we have Dr. Nair uh, on the air. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Great. Welcome. So kind of share with our audience, like what got you into medicine and why in your particular field of practice? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I have um, my parents are not physicians. They worked in the post office, but uh, we lived in a typical Cosby show, a house. So upstairs, I had two cousins that lived there, and they were my role models. So they um, were 10, 15 years older than I, I was, and they both became physicians. They were internal medicine physicians. And um, I, ever since I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to be a physician myself. So, but I, I, I loved everything about medicine. And so family medicine just fit in naturally for me. Um, so I practiced in private medicine in Orlando, and I worked here for a big healthcare system for several years. And I realized, well, this is definitely not the way I, I pictured myself practicing medicine in general. Yeah. So about two or three years ago is when I heard about direct primary care and um, took a, a bit of leap of faith in order for me to start my own business and start my own practice. But here we are today. Mm-hmm. You said, uh, you mentioned the term direct primary care for, for our listeners that are just maybe hearing that term for the first time. Right. What is that? Sure. So uh, direct primary care is a monthly membership model where patients pay typically anywhere from $75 to $125. So similar to a gym membership or a phone bill. Mm-hmm. And in return, they get unlimited office visits with their physician. Um, they get same day or next day appointments for any urgent type of situations. They basically have a physician at the fingertips of their of their phone. So my patients email me directly if they have questions. They don't have to go to Google to look up their <laughs> questions. Um, they can reach me. They can call me, you know, if there's something yeah. urgent and I can get them in to be seen. And so in my practice, it's just me and my medical assistant. So they're not going to go and see another physician. They're not going to be seeing a nurse practitioner or PA. They'll get a, a family doctor that really knows them and their health. So, so you're telling me uh, if I need an appointment, I don't have to wait a month or two to actually see you? That's absolutely correct. And unfortunately, in this time, uh, it's more of three to six months for, for them to see their doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of inspired you to, 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 as you mentioned, take this leap of faith? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was working and seeing upwards of 20 patients a day with 15 minutes per patient. 
And unfortunately, spending a lot of time charting and sitting in front of the computer, um, trying to satisfy insurance requirements and things for hospital administration, and not necessarily doing something that's related to patient care, which is at the end of the day, the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, for every one hour of patient care that you do, you have two hours of administrative burden that you have to take care of. So there was a lot of times I was putting my kids to bed and charting till midnight or waking up at four in the morning and charting or working on weekends. Mm -hmm. And I realized this is just not the best way of practicing medicine. Mm -hmm. So um, that's when I looked at other practices, other ways of providing good quality care and making it accessible and also transparent as well in terms of pricing. Yeah, so um, It almost sounds like you're more of pushing buttons and then being a doctor at that point if it's a one to two ratio at best. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you run into this particular amount? Did someone introduce you to it? Or you said, you know what, there's got to be a better way. And you kind of went down a rabbit hole. You know, actually, um, uh, several friends of mine from residency, I trained up in Michigan, um, had started their own direct primary care practices in Vegas and Michigan. Oh. And they had also worked for fee-for-service models with big hospital systems and told me, you know, this is a great model to look into because not only are your patients loving it and getting great access to care, but physicians, they have better work-life balance as well. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons people do go into family medicine, because you you want to spend time with your own family, but also taking care of your patients as family as well. So that kind of gives away, in terms of my segue question, is our family doc, is that kind of the origin <laughs> of that particular name? Yeah, yeah. Just trying to be that family doctor that you always envisioned back in the country. You know, um, you can call your doctor, your doctor's there for you. Some family doctors that are practicing this model even do home visits. That's just built into their model. So mm -hmm. It's really just having somebody that'll that'll take care of you, navigate the healthcare system as it is today, and um, just be be there for you through every step uh, of since you're born until literally the day you, you die. Cradle mm -hmm. to grave is what we call it. Yeah. So kind of then uh, addressing the elephant in the room, so those that are listening as they're just kind of hearing this particular access to a doctor so immediate. And then the next question in their mind is, all right, well, well, what about health insurance? Like, how does that play in or does it play in at all? And yeah. what is kind of the pros and cons? I mean, we do tell all of our patients, you do need health insurance because if there's any sort of catastroph catastrophic um, events that do occur, such as unexpected surgeries, unexpected mm -hmm. hospitalizations, those are not things that I can do as a family physician. So I absolutely tell all my patients, try to get some sort of coverage, whether it's a high deductible plan that's used for catastrophic catastrophe, that's going to be very important. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this model is great for those that unfortunately are underinsured, has high deductible plans, or uninsured completely. Mm -hmm. okay. Then you mentioned in terms of having an appropriate number of time or time that you can spend with mm -hmm. per patient. I imagine it's got to be more than 50 minutes and, and not spending yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes uh, yeah. just kind of pushing buttons and, and, and making sure that the records are right. Uh, explain to us uh, at least on, on the patient end and side of things okay well that means there's only a select number of patients uh, that you have a full bandwidth for like how, do you have a, a cap for yourself in terms of patients that you're accepting yeah so because i'm my own business owner yeah. and i have autonomy with this um practice mm. i get to decide when i want to cap my patient panel so yeah. most direct primary care practices only take care of a couple hundred patients whether it's anywhere from 300 to 500 patients mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're working for a big healthcare model you're taking care of a couple thousand patients oh. so i had over two thousand patients in my panel that i was taking and that's why i had to see patients every 15 minutes now because i don't bill insurance at all mm. i don't have those restraints and so i'm able to see a patient for an hour at a time. And some of my complex patients, I take even more time with them. Mm -hmm. So no, it's un, unhurried appointments, essentially. All right, so so, I, so if I come to your office, it's not like I'm being 
ushered out the door just as I'm signing my name. No, no. <laughs> you know, I always tell my my um, patients, we have a great lobby, but nobody ever sits down in our furniture. They are roomed yeah. right as soon as they walked in through the door. Wow. Okay. So, so then you mentioned about spending an hour, even even maybe even beyond it, if there are complex cases. It sounds like you would at least inform us or educate us, like what is a diagnosis? Because sometimes for new patients coming in, they might get some XYZ diagnosis, a long term, they go, I've never seen this word before. Like, what does this mean? Right. Is that something that you kind of handhold uh, the patient through? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I have patients that haven't seen a doctor for so long because of, unfortunately, the cost of healthcare. And so they may have really poorly controlled diabetes and need oh. insulin. And, you know, just talking to them about diabetes in general takes up a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And with a, a, a medical conditions such as diabetes, sometimes they have high blood pressure and cholesterol and just kind of navigating all of those medical conditions and talking to them about the risk and benefit of being on medications and why it's important to have it properly controlled mm -hmm. takes up a long period of time. And if you have somebody just kind of you know, standing behind the door and saying, hey, you got to leave, you have three other patients waiting to be oh. seen, can be very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, when I was working for um, a hospital, it was very difficult for me to tell my patient, I'm so sorry, we're running out of time and you're going to have to come back in another, in another week, pay another copay, take time oh. off from work so we can talk about you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. yeah. So in this model, I'm able to dedicate as much time as I need to with, mm -hmm. with whatever the patient's concerns are. Mm -hmm. So they get attention yeah. or quality attention on the spot mm -hmm. and until they get their questions resolved. And it sounds like if I need to see you like today or tomorrow, that that's fully accessible as opposed to waiting a week. Or as you mentioned, if it's a new patient, what is it? You mentioned three or, or, or six months three out. Three or six months out. Yeah. To see um, a primary care doctor or even a specialist, specialist even longer. Like I had a pediatric patient that needed to see a, a pulmonologist and their oh. wait time at CHOA was over a year. <laughs> yeah. So is that just well you mentioned you gave us a little uh, insight behind the curtains was that each doctor was up to thousands of patients a couple of thousands yeah couple. Uh, so primary care about two to three even more four thousand patients but specialists can be even more than that you know, eight eight thousand patients or more uh -huh. yeah. well do they sleep <laughs> I know right yeah no everybody's working really hard mm. <laughs> and kind of share was it so we've got accessibility quality time what other uh Oh, I mean, those two are really massive differentiators from, like, I guess, a traditional health insurance um, system. Uh, what other differentiators uh, would you like to also highlight that perhaps our listeners might not be aware about? Because they're probably not even aware about a direct care physician model. Yeah, I mean, people think direct primary care is concierge medicine. And in a way it is because we spend a lot of time with our patients. But unlike concierge, we don't... We don't bill insurance. So mm -hmm. with concierge, um, you have to pay a copay for every visit. And oh. so that adds up. And then you have annual fees as well. So there's a concierge medicine practice not too far from us. And it's about eight times as expensive as our rates. So mm -hmm. for on average, from uh, adults that are between 18 to 64, it's about $99 per month from our direct primary care membership. Oh, wow. So it comes out to about $1,200 a year. Mm -hmm. It's even cheaper if you're a pediatric patient and a little bit more expensive if you're above the age of 65. Um, but with con concierge medicine practices, it can run up to $8,000 to $10,000 per annual. So another thing is you, would, you may have a misconception that we'll only see uninsured patients, which is not true. Actually, most of my patients have great insurance, but they have poor access to care. Whether when they're feeling unwell, they go to the urgent care and mm -hmm. they wait for two hours and or they call their primary care doctors 
office and it takes weeks to get in. And by then they may have significantly worsened and had to go to the ER mm-hmm. or, you know, they're just kind of fed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, most of my patients have great insurance, but some don't. Um, so I see a wide breadth of patient. Mm. And you mentioned in terms of family doctor from, from Creator Great. So it sounds like you also see, of course, toddlers and, and, and infants as well. Yes. Right now we're seeing two years and above just because we don't have vaccinations in our office just yet. Mm-hmm. When we have a larger volume of patients and we'll be getting vaccines. So right now we're seeing two and above. But as a family physician, yes, we deliver babies. We can take care of newborns and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine uh, for particularly for parents who they got fussy kids or always getting sick, that that having that 24-hour accessibility, yeah. it, I imagine, would be a, a huge value. Yeah. I've had patients, uh, a, a mother just text me a picture of a rash and they didn't have to spend the time to come over to my office. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they do come to my office, one of the benefits is that we dispense medications at wholesale prices as well. Oh. So let's say if a patient needed a steroid cream, well, I can provide that cream for about 2 or $3. And the patient won't need to go to the pharmacy and uh, spend another 20 minutes there, or drive you know, 20 minutes and spend another copay for their medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh. So, so not only are you able to kind of give them time and attention, you can also provide the medical care on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they love that. Um, if they have a sinus infection, I could walk over to my cabinet and dispense some antibiotics and then also text them two days later and ask them, how are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling better? Yeah. Or if they have uncontrolled high blood pressure, dispense some medications and such. And mm-hmm. then, um, we also draw labs in our, in our office as well. So those lab work is also very deeply discounted. So about $5 each for a lot of the most commonly ordered labs during your annual physical, mm-hmm. such as diabetes testing, thyroid testing, cholesterol testing, yeah. blood count level to, to make sure you're not anemic. They're, they're about $5 each. Mm-hmm. So a lot cheaper even if you build it through insurance. Wow. Okay. So so kind of a general blood draw for the acronym CBC or complete blood count, everything Correct. else, the hormones and everything else I know uh, going through insurance, I'm looking like 100 here, 100 there. I'm like, huh, right. that's kind of expensive. Yeah. But you're telling me they could just come to your office and kind of do most of it like $5 at a piece. At a piece, yeah. For the more commonly ordered labs, some of the more specialized labs will be more expensive. But uh-huh. before, I, before we draw them, we tell them the price transparency of how much it'll cost uh, if you paid cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our patients will decide whether they, whether they want us to bill it through their insurance versus not. But if we do bill it through insurance, I'm not privy to know how much of that is covered. And they may get a surprise bill a few months down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, tra- price transparency. Imagine that. Yeah, right? <laughs> you, you can get me in my soapbox yeah. when it comes to medical care. It's like, <laughs> right. uh, how many other services can you get? It's like, hey, uh, come buy this, but we won't tell you the price until after the fact. It's like, hey, wait a second here. Right. That's one of the very frustrating things when I was working a fee-for-service model before, mm-hmm. where if I ordered an x-ray or a CT scan or ordered lab, lab work, yeah. I had no idea how much those labs would be or imaging would be. And uh, you know, I would be surprised and shocked with the bill as much as the patients were. Mm-hmm. And here I can tell them, hey, your stress test will be $75 at this hospital, $90 at this hospital without insurance. Your chest your chest x-ray will be $50, you know? So mm-hmm. um, it's really great for advocating for patient care and giving price transparency as well. Okay. That's, I did not know about this whole world because when I think about consumers, as you mentioned, it'd be as the term implies, that's like very high end, but it sounds like this is very affordable and accessible right. for a whole series of people. Yeah. So then kind of comes the next uh, question would be in terms of paying kind of the membership. Um, is that ex- eligible if I'm thinking of the right word or verbiage in terms of using a, either an HSA or an FSA to pay for that? 
you know, you may want to talk to your um, HR department to see if that's something that's qualified. Um, but mm-hmm. some patients have used their HSA in order to pay for their membership. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. It's good to know. And uh, another highlight would be what is perhaps another stereotype or myth revolving around kind of direct care uh, practices that the audience uh, or the public just might not be aware about that you would also like to highlight? Um, I would say that people may think that it's only for those that are extremely wealthy, but it, you know, absolutely not. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. this membership is actually even cheaper than my phone bill or even some <laughs> gym membership like yes. CrossFit, mm-hmm. you know, and why wouldn't you want to invest in your health and be proactive in your health? So that way no medical conditions can develop in the future. And you have a doctor that's really going to be there for navigating with you every step of the way. Mm. Well, I imagine for, for people with, with kids or young families, instead of like freaking out, going to WebMD, it sounds like they can just text you with a photo, whether it's a rash or something and right. to kind of get at least guidance on the spot, whether it's something urgent, Correct. they need to see you right away or say, right. yeah, it's probably just a diaper rash. Right. Yeah, mm. exactly. So then kind of, uh, uh, well, it's kind of addressing something that's kind of uh, top of line right now with whether it's the flu or cold, all that is all going on right now. Like, do you see a lot of those cases of parents coming to you that are concerned? And is this just kind of another flu season and nothing to really like sweat about? Like what's the recommendation that you would have for parents? I mean, yes, I am unfortunately seeing a lot of flu and COVID and RSV right now. Um, and not just in children, but just adults as well. Like today oh. I had a COVID patient, yesterday I had a flu patient. So regardless of age, you know, the, both of them are caused by viruses and just talking about supportive care. And if, if depending on if they had COVID and risk factors for COVID if, in terms of progression to severe disease, you know, are they a candidate for Paxlovid and talking oh. them through it and just kind of telling them what vitals to, to monitor for and to see if there's worsening of symptoms. And I can check in on them every day because I have a lower volume of patient. So mm. I'm the one calling the patient instead of my nurse or my staff, you know? Um, so one of the great things is that I had a patient today who unfortunately was not feeling very well. And, um, we did a flu swab and a COVID test and it was free. It's part of their membership. Oh, um, it's one of the perks of being a direct primary care practice patient. I had another patient who was has, having an asthma attack um, because they had flu. Uh, so they're having some wheezing and we were able to give a breathing treatment free of cost. That doesn't cost them anything. Now, if they went to an urgent care or the ER, uh, they probably would have gotten a bill for $60, $70, you know, so I'm able to save them money in those regards as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so not only are you able to see kids that are just running noses, and then parents are kind of I don't want to say freaking out, but just concerned, like, hey, is this something that I should be concerned about for my kid, right. or or even all the way up to into uh, elderly? Uh, so, what is kind of I guess to kind of close out, one advice that you would have for people who are just kind of learning about this model now, and are just kind of on the fence, like, oh, well, I mean, I've been with my doctor or insurance doctor for lack of a better for like five or, or whatever years, but uh, what what is something that I should that should prompt me to get off the fence and, and come to someone like you. Yeah, I, I always tell my, um, just the general public, if you're already happy with your family doctor, then there's no need in you know me trying to convince you very hard to come to my practice. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody frustrated with the current healthcare system and how little time you have with your doctor, how long you have to wait to hear um, an answer back from the, from the office, um, at the rising cost of healthcare as well, and if you're looking to save money, this may be a really great option for you. Mm-hmm. 
Great. Well, thank you. And how could our audience, uh, and particularly whether it's parents or people <laughs> with kids running about as, as petri dishes with sniffling noses, how can they best find you and, and kind of get that 24-hour service? Sure. Um, my website is www.ourfamilydoc.us. Um, phone number is 404-446-9979. And don't be surprised if myself, if I answer the phone, because that's typically how it is, or if my medical assistant answers the, answers the phone. Great. Thank you. That, that talk about that uh, family doctor service. And, and when you mentioned about the doctors making house calls and people thinking of concierge medicine, that, that was medicine back then. Right. Just, just, it should just be medicine. Exactly. Right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So as you all heard here in terms of our two amazing guests and their story, how they got started, uh, some of the things that kind of inspired them to go out on their own and opening an own practice. So I would imagine a universal question to kind of bring our guests uh, back and to kind of gain their insights would be, what is one particular either client or patient case that had such an impact on you that you made a decision or thought to yourself when you had doubts in the beginning is like, you know what? I made the right choice. This is, this is where I belong. Whether it's a client or patient that had such an impact on you that made you think, I'm in the right place. To give our uh, guests some time to think, this is of course the financial legalese of the show. You can fast forward this a little bit if you want. Uh, this show is sponsored uh, and brought to yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through Ozaic. We are a member of FINRA SIPC. Ozaic is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here or independent of Ozaic. Our main office address is at 575 in Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at the phone at 631-465-9090. My extension here is 5075 uh, or preferably by email, uh, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N at lfnllc.com or you can always reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, which is Anthony Chen and I'm the only guy with glasses up there with a big LFN banner uh, behind my head. So if you don't see those two things, uh, you got the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of bringing back uh, our two guests, the question again is, what is the client or patient that had such an impact on you that made you go, yeah, I'm in the right spot? Okay, I'll go. (laughs) Okay, so for me, um, I've been in business since 2018 on my own. And it was actually like a culmination. So these clients became my clients right when I hung my own shingle. Mm -hmm. And um, it started with, you know, um, just like a consultation about the sun. And then later it became, you know, um, I don't think they hired me for the son's case. And then later it just, you know, became the father's case. And, you know, we were doing that. And then the grandfather's case, the grandmother's case. So, you know, just recently the son finally uh, obtained his permanent residency. And in looking at that, I just looked back and I said, wow, the whole family. <laughs> I was able to help the whole family. And I was so grateful for them um, to entrust their whole family's immigration, you know, future in my hands and also, you know, with my firm. But I was also very proud of myself and proud of us, you know, as a, as a firm that we were able to really deliver full, you know, full service, right? Full family service. So it's not that, you know, um, and I think for me, that's what uh, along the way, you know, our successes and I have clients where, you know, we've 
we're able to get them their desired outcome. Because I believe, you know, if you have a good plan and you execute it well, you're going to get your desired outcome. But, you know, in looking at this family, it kind of, it just proves that this is what I'm meant to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That I have the skill sets, I have the knowledge, I have the, you know, the bandwidth and the desire to help people. And it's not, you know, always about helping um, the people who, you know, need us to help them, but it's really about helping the people who are helping themselves by coming to me, right? So, and I was very happy to kind of bring it full circle and the whole family can now travel together on a cruise. Yeah, (laughs) they have have you to thank for. (laughs) And yeah, and themselves too. (laughs) Well, thank you. Dr. Nair? Um, Sure. I had um, one patient who I dearly love who unfortunately is uninsured and has a history of blood clots and um, a couple of blood clots. So she's supposed to be on a specific type of anticoagulant to prevent her from having another blood clot. But unfortunately, she was put on the uh, inappropriate medication for it, which increases the risk of blood clotting. And because she was uninsured, she wasn't able to afford the right medication, but I was able to get her medications for free. Um, And she was absolutely so thankful and grateful that she had a doctor that was able to provide that for her. So that was really when I realized, you know, I have the time now that I'm able to um, get my patients affordable medications and um, take care of them properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine, especially with only 15 minutes or really less per, per patient, it sounds like it might have potentially been an oversight for, from, from someone prior? Or? Could be, could be, yeah. Okay, well, well it's a good thing that she has you where you can spend an hour actually at an appropriate time and, and kind of spot that, uh, I guess, inappropriate medication. Is that something you run into frequently or is that, that was like one freak event? Uh, it may have been just a freak event, but you know, when there's such time limits put on uh, patient care, you know, mm-hmm. those oversights can happen and it could be just easily missed by the whoever was taking care of the patient but regardless no harm occurred Mm -hmm. um which is always great but the fact that she's on the appropriate medicine now and it's free for her is just a great benefit good great great. well thank you for sharing and then kind of for one last wrap-up question would be as you're both kind of opening going into this business we're all on yourself for those that are listening in and kind of on the fence like all right well whether they're also in medicine or also in law or any other profession, like, all right, you know, should I go on by myself or should I just kind of stay on? Uh, what are some words of wisdom that you would impart upon those that are on the fence? <laughs> well, um, I think uh, self-employment, any type of entrepreneurial endeavor is not for the faint of heart. Um, in the beginning, until you've, you know, you're able to scale, um, be prepared to be working like two full-time jobs. You have to have the desire, the passion, the energy to support two full-time jobs because this is that much, that, that important to you and the people that you serve. Um, It is absolutely a lot of work. You know, I'm putting on multiple hats. I only have one medical assistant, so I'm the one who's doing marketing. I'm the one who is going out and meeting patients. Even before I hired my medical assistant, I was the one greeting my patients, ruining them, getting their vitals and everything. So it's a lot of hats and they don't teach business in medical school. So it's a steep learning curve, but mm-hmm. I would try to tell all the family doctors out there, go out on your own, have autonomy, love practicing medicine again. I find like I find so much more appreciation working in this model and practicing medicine the way I always envisioned it to be instead of working for somebody else. So absolutely, if more doctors can go out on their own and open up practices such as this, I would really vouch for it. 
Well, thank you. And then kind of close this out. Again, how can our audience best find you? They can find me at the G Law Firm, www.mygelaw.com. And our phone number is 404-947-8048. Thank you. Uh, website, again, is www.ourfamilydoc.us. And phone number is 404-446-9979. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. All right, to kind of close out the show, uh, this is what we call uh, Anthony's uh, financial take section of the podcast here. So as you kind of heard from our two amazing guests here in terms of kind of branching out on their own and getting inspired from their clients and patients and really understanding their purpose uh, in life and realizing, yeah, this, this, this is where I belong. So how does this kind of involve in, in terms of financial planning? Uh, in conversation when building a financial plan, rather than just kind of going with a stereotype, oh, everyone's just kind of have a, a, an arbitrary age of 65 and just kind of quit work and collect social security and stay home and eat bonbons. Well, that's, 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 that's an old model. Uh, my, my suggestion uh, for those of you listening is kind of think outside of the box because nowadays retirement is completely different. Some people are actually more busy retired than, than, than when they were working because they are now able to kind of give themselves a permission or green light to chase after things that they enjoy and love, whether it's pouring their life, love and life and energy uh, into a nonprofit, maybe reinventing themselves into another career, opening a business because they've always been so focused on everyone else. They've kind of neglected themselves. Uh, as you've heard from our two amazing guests here is, hey, just make that leap but understand that this is something that you want to have an absolute passion in and really weave that in as kind of your financial plan at the end of the day because at the end of the day can't really take that money with you so you got to make sure that you kind of live your life with an absolute love and purpose and passion and that's what makes the whole ride worth it and that is it for anthony's financial take this is a december episode so for those of you listening uh happy new year merry christmas hanukkah kwanzaa or whichever holiday you celebrate and until next time, thank you for listening in to Family Business Radio. Mm-hmm.